0: This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling.
1: Shake Them Ropes episode 281, Jeff Hawkins, still present on this show, um... Probably a two-show week for uh, the old Shake Them Ropes uh, crew, that being me. Uh, Big weekend, four shows within four days. Here to help me uh, break down NXT and SummerSlam, old friend of the neighborhood from... uh, it's, it's, I always mess this up. Lucha of the Hidden Temple, correct? You got it, because
0: you didn't watch Woo-hoo! Legends of the Hidden Temple, so you don't have that speed hump to run over.
1: I don't have that speed hump. but remember a writer from Legend of the Hidden Temple thanked me for all the free publicity once. Um, oh, yeah. Chris Novembrino. That's Chris Novembrino, kids. You know him.
0: Yes, yes. I promise not to go lightning fast like I do on the solo shows I've been doing recently today.
1: Okay, I I didn't think it was that fast, but then again, I play all my podcasts, for the most part, in one and a half speed.
0: How how do I sound at one and a half speed? I have to feel like that would actually be pushing it.
1: Well, you sound upbeat. The weird thing is, when you go back to listening to it, because there's only one podcast I can listen to at normal speed, because I have to, and that's uh, Tony Kornheiser, because his voice is so whiny at times i guess it's kind of in an upper register oh
0: yeah yeah
1: but but like when you go back to like like you think brian alvarez sounds a lot more upbeat and excitable at one and a half speed and then you go to one it's like how's it going everybody it's like how's it going everybody um so yeah no you you sound uh see everybody always sounds a little bit more excitable and upbeat at one and a half speed and also cuts out all the pauses
0: Let's talk about the two shows that happened this weekend here. We had NXT, and we had SummerSlam. NXT TakeOver, Jeff Hawkins, top line. What did you think of this show?
1: I did not think it was in the top tier of NXT TakeOvers, but I thought it was a very good show. Um, I I think one of the big problems of this NXT TakeOver was nothing could top that opener. I thought that opener was fantastic, and then after that, it... You had very good to good matches after it, um, but I, I think it was kind of hard to get the crowd back back into it. Um, and the other big takeaway I have is it, it, they need to move away from this Gargano-Champa feud. I, I loved it for what it was, but the triple threat had a story element to it that it needed, and now they're going to have a problem getting the Gargano character back on track. Those were my two big takeaways. We'll go into that. Okay,
0: absolutely, although I'm actually interested in talking about the Johnny Gargano stuff, but it sounds like we've got a little bit of a debate here on the Undisputed Era versus Mustache Mountain. Make the case to me why you thought that this was the best match of the night, because I liked this match, but I thought that a lot of the matches were basically all of a similar level of quality. There were some that were underneath this, but the Undisputed Era versus Mustache Mountain, to me, just sort of set a tone that we stayed at for the rest of the evening.
1: Um, I, I just thought especially Roderick Strong worked his ass off in this match. Um, I I understand the the criticism that a lot of people had that, that a lot of these matches on these takeovers are doing a few too many callback spots to previous matches, but that's always kind of been... The way it's been, especially for these tag team feuds. If you watch the like the American Alpha uh, revival feud, they they always did callbacks to other matches and things like that. I just thought everybody here was really, really working very, very hard. Especially Kyle O'Reilly does not get enough credit. for oh, his he's wacky, awesome. His wacky selling, though. Is is what really kind of brings up, like especially that one match against the authors of pain. I think it was the three way where he just he gets up at a moment to to fight and then he just kind of collapses. I, I I I'll watch Kyle O'Reilly you know wrestle a phone book for the most part, but but I just thought you know the crowd was obviously I mean the hot, the crowd was hot for this opener as well, which also really really helped. I don't you know it wasn't as good as. As the TV match a couple weeks ago, but I thought it was on par with the uh, Royal Albert Hall match, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I actually really liked the TV match a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't think it was on par with that. But I think the Undisputed Era is a great way to get the crowd going. I think that they have managed to channel all of the best elements of early 1996 NWO. You've got the wiki-wa-wa guitar earworm of a theme song going on here. You've got the promo packages that are shot kind of unconventionally, and you've got the theme usually playing underneath it. Now they've just debuted the new swanky T-shirts. I think there's a lot of NWO elements going on here, but it's subtle. You don't necessarily think of it
1: right off the bat. See, I go the other way. I call them the junior horsemen because I think there's a lot of elements to that too in there and that they're all kind of uh, really good at what they do. And uh, there's a, I think there's a odd, and I don't know if they're going to play this up after the results of tonight, but there's an odd possibility that Roddy Strong as kind of the tully of the group could always turn on Adam Cole at any time, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I think that that's definitely laying in there. Or, I mean, maybe Bobby Fish ends up being the weak link. Who knows?
1: He's kind of the Ole Anderson of the group. The guy that, oh, yeah, you weren't around. Maybe we need to get another member as opposed to you. Yeah, no, I like those two things. But, no, I I just think these two teams, to me, I've compared the last four years of this NXT tag division have been on par with my sweet spot, which is the mid to late 80s, NWA Crockett, AWA, WWF tag team wrestling stuff. I would put all those teams. You know, the Authors of Pain, the Revival, American Alpha, um, Do It Yourself. Uh, all the all these feuds have been on par with with the that great tag team era. And to me, the best thing in WWE, the company, the past four years has been really what the NXT tag division, the NXT women's division have done for this company to help liven up the roster, even if they don't make use of it on the main roster necessarily.
0: Absolutely. I think that the NXT style of tag wrestling is just fantastic.
1: This was just old school tag. This was quick tags in and out like like an old Southern style tag rest thing. And that's why I started to get a little geeked out. I mean, the the Undisputed Era just tag, 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 tag the whole time. I, I really loved that aspect of it.
0: I will, to go back to something you were just talking about, say that I think Kyle O'Reilly might actually be the guy who ends up getting kicked out of the Undisputed Era, and he ends up being the one who gets turned babyface out of the group. So, Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, and Roddy Strong stay heel, Kyle turns face.
1: That'd be interesting. I I, I don't want to break him up just yet. No, I'm no, 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 no,
0: no, no rush, no rush, but we were talking about Roddy and we were talking about Bobby Fish, but Kyle O'Reilly seems like the much more obvious candidate.
1: And I think Tyler Bate is a really underappreciated asset to them. I know that they put the UK title on him, but they took it off of him rather quickly, I think. Um, I I hope that the NXT UK show really starts to put more of a spotlight on him, because I think even, even at this young of an age, I mean, look, we, we've good. seen him. He's quite he good. He is. I, mean, I, I don't even think he's quite good. I think he's special. I think he's yeah. almost tra- a transcendent talent uh in the making if he cont- if he continues on this trajectory I-, I just everything he does he always pulls out something new a new little wrinkle that you hadn't noticed before in these matches i just absolutely love watching that guy perform
0: no i completely agree and i am sure that a lot of people are talking about the velveteen dream and ec3 and the velveteen dream specifically coming out of that match but i think someone who is every bit as talented as patrick clark is tyler Bate.
1: Oh, I think I think Bates more talented than Patrick Clark. I think Clark Clark is upside right now. Bate has the technical prowess right now. Right um, that Patrick Clark doesn't have yet.
0: No, no, no. Patrick Clark isn't there yet. But let's move on to the Velveteen Dream versus E C three. So I've watched a lot of EC3 matches because I used to review TNA back in the day, like way back when, when they first rolled out the EC3 gimmick. So I've kind of seen this character in various stages, in various incarnations, and I actually thought that this was one of EC3's better worked matches because EC3 has always been a good gimmick and a great promo and not necessarily a great match. I actually thought he was pretty good here.
1: I'm going to say something, and I want to know if I'm going to get any pushback on it. I think both EC3 and this match are an absolute anachronism in NXT. I think, I, I, to me, this match was late 80s WWF superstars main event level up until the last fourth or so when they started to turn it on towards the end. Yes. Just two big guys doing kind of wacky spots here and there and doing some power moves. EC3 is a to me and, and let me ask you this cuz to me he's a guy with a main event look and a comedy mid-card character.
0: Yeah, that's no it's part of the problem is that his he works a comedy match and the thing that he does best is comedy. And he's very funny, but I think you're on to something here where the whole EC3 character doesn't fit in this NXT universe, and it feels like a real wedge.
1: His work style doesn't fit in NXT, and his over-the-top kind of mannerisms, to me, scream he's playing for camp, rather than he should be a more serious character with his look, to me. I I I think he has... I think he belongs on the main roster, and he has a main event look, and he could possibly have a main event style in that, but on NXT, his his work looks slow and sluggish in some ways.
0: Definitely that. And
1: his, and his character feels like Tyler Bateman again. It's just one of those things where it's like, look at this guy, and if he never says a word, you go, oh, that dude is money. You could he could put a belt on him tomorrow and he'd be great. And then you watch him kind of do that like head shake with the weird hair thing and hey, look, pal, I'm going to come here and beat you up. You know, that kind of style of talking and you just go, oh, that's why. That's why he's not going that next level because everything about him up until the moment you watch him act on some of these promos is main event to me. And then you watch him talk and then you watch him work and you just go yeah he's a body guy but there's not much more there in some ways and i just think in nxt which is more of your super indie work rate high spot type federation i just find him to be in a net we talk a lot about guys being too late sometimes like oh you know so and so if he had come along back then, he would have been huge. But now he's... Uh, th- this guy came along too early. Er, uh, I mean, some people come too early. He came too late. He's about 15 years too late, <laughs> in, in my opinion. He, he He belongs in the Attitude Era. In, in, in a lot of ways to me, but I like him. I like the character. Don't get me wrong. Don't th- If I hear anybody going, oh, Jeff's trashing EC3, I- I'm coming after you because I like him a lot. I think he has a lot of potential. I just think there's a disconnect between work style and character and look. That's all.
0: So to me, I think the work style is an issue, but I think the bigger issue for EC3 right now is that you're not going to be putting the belt on him anytime soon here, or if you are, it's going to piss off all of the Gargano Champa fanboys. So you have to probably move EC3 on from NXT in order to get him to have any sort of success
1: yeah and you know Smackdown needs baby faces I, I yeah and
0: I think he could make, actually be quite successful on the main roster because that is a deliver your promos sort of thing and even get the laughs like I mean we say this can't work but John Cena did a lot of stuff that was on the can't be funny thing I mean EC3's doing something different but you know what but I'm he saying had already,
1: he had already established himself as kind of a of a badass before he went into that kind of sure, Dusty Rhodes sure. comedy type of thing and the, and that that's the danger here is i agree you could move ec3 up tomorrow and he'd be great it's just the first time he see he, he he does comedy or does anything wacky or does a callback or something like that he's automatically in that uh what is it the, the Brizongo type of uh zone and then he's basically dead so i i think they'd have to They'd have to really work with him on being serious. Serious serious Serious. delivery, yes. Absolutely.
0: So, to go back to the match, one thing I did like about the story being told in the match is that. Velveteen Dream started this match off being cocky and being arrogant and doing lazy pins and lazy moves and cocky moves. And then realized in that last fourth of the match that he was actually going to have to go further and push himself in order to defeat... EC3 having learned from losing to Ricochet and these other serious wrestlers like yeah he could hang with Alistair Black and yeah he can hang with Ricochet both those dudes have belts now and all Velveteen Dream has to show for those matches that he lost and yeah Black said his name but Dream wanted to win like I really liked this story I'm with you though that the match was not necessarily as strong as the story was
1: well, it's interesting to me that you say that as the story because one of the things I was a little surprised at was was the lack of how do you say the the lack of uh, panache in in Velveteen Dreams' entrance in in Brooklyn, which to me, yes, NXT Brooklyn is NXT Brooklyn is NXT's WrestleMania, in my opinion. Now, how it handles itself after it moves out of Brooklyn is is kind of weird, but this is really. The first major arena show that NXT ever did was four years ago. Brooklyn and all these big big moments and big time things happen in Brooklyn to kind of reset the board for later stories. So I always view this as their major WrestleMania and they pull out all the stops and given that you know he he had an elaborate entrance in new orleans he had a very elaborate entrance in philadelphia with the boxing thing which is kind of cool this was very toned down for him i was a little bit uh a little bit disappointed in that in some ways but once you explain the story there it's like oh, maybe this is him becoming focused and him having to learn. It's a story that they could tell. I just don't know if they're going to tell it.
0: I don't know. I, I certainly have a mixed track record on being able to read these stories, but that was the story I was getting from the match. Is <laughs> It was through the covers. But, again, mixed track record, mixed track record. Let's move on to Adam Cole versus Ricochet. This, to me, was the weak link in the show. And it's not that it was, like, an awful match, it's just that I thought that the finish was very similar to the Velveteen Dream versus EC3, which hurted a little bit. And the You're Not Special stuff had a short shelf life for me, and we were still eating from that can well after it had expired.
1: Uh, I want to get into this, because this is a dangerous trend I think I'm starting to find in the WWE, and it's permeated from NXT. I, I refer to this now as Sasha Banksing, because this started at NXT Brooklyn 1 oddly enough, in the match between her and Bailey, They've done this on the main roster with the women a few times, especially in the Nia Jack storyline. Uh, they've done this. They did this a bit in the Gargano match, and they did this a bit in the Ms. Daniel Bryan match tonight on SummerSlam. Yes, they did. The whole yelling the storyline from the heel to the babyface to get over the reason for this match throughout the match. It drives me insane. It actually took away from this match for me. Oh, yeah. But I thought I thought the in-ring story was good enough, and if you do it once, it's fine. Continually going back to it, it's treating us like morons. Okay, we know what this is about. We know that this is a battle of respect and for the title. For the title is enough. The subplot is not necessary to hammer home, and certainly not to hammer home 20 different times that Adam Cole thinks he's special and doesn't th- and thinks Ricochet is only very good. They need to stop this because the in-ring work is sufficient enough to tell the story without the consistent yelling of hey, here's the plot point we're trying to get across.
0: It makes you forget everything that Adam Cole did in terms of moves during the match because the visual that keeps coming to my head when I think of this match is just Adam Cole yelling at Ricochet, you're not special. And that is certainly taking away from a match that has one of the best workers on the roster in Ricochet. These guys had a good match. It's just this... Little spot, and it's not a little spot. It became a big feature point in the match. Really takes away from the match.
1: Oh, and and the, the super kick spot especially, off of the. Uh, oh Cape man, Brado that was, was awesome. That was, that was wow. fantastic.
0: My God, that really was incredible. But it wasn't the first thing that came to my mind when I was writing down these notes after the match.
1: Yeah, exactly. It, it it's that took away from all the great little things that especially Adam Cole did in defeat in this match. Because I thought. I thought it was was quite good. Ricochet may have been a little bit off in some spots, but overall, I mean, it was an exciting match brought down by that ridiculous yelling by Adam Cole. It was just so... It was so over the top that you're just like, yeah, we get it. You don't think he's very good. Now shut up and wrestle the match.
0: And then we have the apron top rope spot where someone doesn't move from the top rope and lands on the apron. And I'm not making a comment about the safety of that sort of thing. Although, obviously, there might be a comment for like someone like Jeff Hardy, maybe at 40, doing it. <laughs> but uh, everyone doing it at the finish of their match is just bad from a narrative standpoint because what you've seen it once, you get diminishing returns.
1: Yeah. Definitely.
0: So, let's go now to Shayna Baszler versus Kyrie Sane. Jeff, what did you think of this match?
1: I, I liked it. I uh, I really love the simplicity of the end of this match. That's the thing that, that went out to me was, was the uh, whole, uh, you know, the ca- caught her in, in the rear naked choke, basically, and just the flip over for the pin, one, two, three, nonchalantly. Not... not uh, no screaming from I think Mara was actually a little bit quiet there when she reversed it because it just kind of happened out of nowhere I've really dug that I I, I thought uh, I thought the story of Kyrie trying to play at Shayna's game in the beginning was uh, Shayna has really I mean for all the stuff we've been talking about Shayna and and her in-ring work improving. Her personality, since I I was watching her in like the Shimmers of the world, she has really, really improved on that, especially in in playing this kind of bully role.
0: No, this storytelling in this narrative is awesome because yes. yes you can focus in on Kyrie Sane finding her killer instinct and that's a basic and simple story to follow but Baszler's story to me is more compelling because this entire bully character that we have gotten to know over the last several months, what underpins the bullying mentality that Shayna Baszler has is this one defining loss at the May Young Classic and it doesn't matter to Shayna that she got the win back and it doesn't matter that she can beat Kyrie and even that Kyrie Sane's a little bit scared of Shayna Baszler this is still in Shayna Baszler's head and Shayna Baszler did such a good job selling that in the promo kind of subtly and then selling that even more in the ring Kyrie Sane really gets to her I like that so much I thought she did a really yeah. good job
1: to, to me a lot of this story is if they had actually booked Bailey to get a win back over Asuka oh man this is how they would have done the story in in many ways the the, the Person who who maybe isn't as good as Shayna Baszler is, but she has to find something within herself. Even though she's she's this this lovable, I'm a pirate type, you know. <laughs> she's adorable, but she's also you know a very attractive woman. but At the same time, you're like, oh, she's playing a pirate, and then it's like, oh no no, she's a badass with an elbow that'll kill you, fool. Don't 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 let the good looks fool you there. And, and, and it's an endearing story. I loved. I loved the, uh, the 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 joint manipulation work yes. in this match. Absolutely love that because that's what Shayna is. She's an MMA specialist who can break your arms and legs, but sometimes she just lets her ego get the better of her. I I, I like that story that they tell with her. I like that she's a vulnerable champion and that she can lose when she, when she's not focused but then she'll come back and be very very hyper focused and have a dominant win she's an interesting character in that in that respect uh, the likes that they haven't really had because they 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 liked to book dominant champions when they have them so so it's an interesting wrinkle in the nxt women's division
0: i'm really excited to see how Shayna baszler bounces out of this I think that there's a very interesting story to tell about this loss to Kyrie. Sane really fucking getting into Shayna's head.
1: I I think so, and I wonder if they if they weave it in with Rhonda at all. I don't know if if they're gonna go that way. I, I like I know they like to keep the universes separate, but they, maybe they they weave in Marina and and Jessamine a bit here to help her. Get refocused. I don't know. I don't know where they're leading with with all this in regards to the evolution pay per view. But but I am interested. I I, I really want to see Shayna kind of channel her inner Nicole Savoy in terms of that swag and that con- cockiness. Uh, eventually, after she gets this loss out of her system. I'd really like to see that, but yeah, no, I'm I'm interested to see where it goes.
0: Yeah, she has a little bit of the vibe of uh, he who shall not be named uh, in the Four Horsemen, that, that sort of modality.
1: Ooh. Okay, I, I, I can see that a little bit. So
0: let's get into the main event now. Tommaso Ciampa versus Johnny Gargano. Um, there are some people who absolutely love this feud. There are some people who have tired on this feud i actually sort of land somewhere not in either one of those two binaries i did not like the third match but i thought that this match was much better than the third match so at least right up until that very very end uh but i actually really ended up enjoying this match when i just sort of sat back and let myself watch it
1: I enjoyed the match, I thought the but, and, and I thought the ending was too cute by half. Yes, I, I agree. I, I thought it was a little too, oh, he fell off the le- – I, I could see it coming a mile away because they kind of did that before where he fell off the apron onto his feet. So they kind of uh, f- foreshadowed that a bit. I think they've now gotten to a point where they're, they're, they have characters in search of an ending.
0: Absolutely. Because- I was going to ask you, where do you think this is going? Because I, the thing that I find that is the dividing line for people is the people who really like this feud, they like this feud because they think that they are getting a very specific payoff. In, in some cases, some of them think that Johnny Gargano ends up being NXT champion. I don't think that's particularly likely. Do you?
1: I think that was the natural way to go, and I think they're going to have a hard time getting back to it because I think the natural story that was supposed to be told here is Johnny Gargano got so consumed with all the hate and all these other things with Tommaso after getting turned on that he forgot what brought him to the dance and that he is Johnny Wrestling. He is not Johnny Street Fighter. He is not Johnny Last Man Standing, and he needed a guy like Aleister Black to kick some sense into him. And the problem with, or he needed Candace to be a, a positive influence and to get, get that, at, or he, you know, he had become so consumed by rage that his, his relationship had fallen apart and he needed to get her back somehow. That, that was the natural story. One of those two stories to get Johnny Gargano back to being the great babyface that people loved, that, that those were the two ways to get there. When you took Aleister Black out of this match... You took away that plot point, so now you have this seething, angry Johnny Gargano, and I think the I think the payoff of that who attacked Alistair Black they're going to go straight ahead possibly, because I my thing was I wanted Kathy Kelly to be you know the Kaiser Soze of NXT. And oh, okay. just be you wanted to be attack. Kathy Kelly. <laughs> I wanted so to think So do be you Kathy think it's going to be
0: Ciampa or Gargano who attacked Alistair Black? I think it's
1: I think they're going to go straight ahead and they're going to say that Gargano attacked Black so right. he could have Ciampa one on one. And I don't think that's a compelling story because you want people to like Johnny Gargano. See, I don't think that's where
0: we're going. I think we're breaking Johnny. I think we're going to end up with crazy eyes Johnny at the end of this. So I have different narrative expectations here. And again, mixed track record. But I think Tommaso Ciampa is going to break Johnny at the end of this. And all of this is an extended psychopathic mind game on Johnny Gargano to break him.
1: Okay, so, so at the end, he's going to get rebuilt, though, right?
0: DIY is reunited as, like, heels, and Johnny is basically kind of serving his best friend in this twisted re- way.
1: Is he reluctantly kind of serving? Like, he's kind of angry, but he realizes that this is the only way, or is it... Uh- I don't know, see, I thought
0: he was behind this setup when Tommaso Ciampa attacked Aleister Black several weeks ago, too, because if you remember in that little cutscene, right before Aleister Black gets attacked by Tommaso Ciampa, Johnny Gargano walks right out as though he was just talking to Tommaso Ciampa or something. He was walking Mm -hmm. out from that same hallway. So I do think that this ends up with uh, maybe Tommaso Ciampa's like Dracula and Johnny's kind of like Renfield.
1: Okay, I I I could I could see that. I I just think I don't know if they're going the Tommy Dreamer route where where he never gets the title, but I thought it would have been interesting cuz their move is usually if you if they if the crowd is really behind a guy and they've done such a great job with him as a babyface, yeah, you put the belt on him and you see where it goes. But now with the Broken Johnny story, you got to keep them down there for a while, and you got to rebuild them, and you got to you got to get. And I don't this know thing. how
0: you redeem him as a babyface. I I kept trying to play this out of my mind because, as you said, they've already fired the Candace Bullet, and. It seems weird to go, Okay, after all of these no holds barred, no disqualification, unsanctioned matches, let's just get back to good old fashioned pure wrestling. And why would Tommaso well, Ciampa want to do that? Why wouldn't Tommaso Ciampa just go ahead and get himself disqualified from that kind of match?
1: Well, you've taken away other other avenues as well, because you've taken away the Gargano he he, he makes he makes Gargano leave NXT. taking away that bullet out of of your holster as well so what you have now is this babyface. everybody loved and that people suddenly turned on because he acted like such a douche canoe and you have nowhere to go with him except maybe turning into the skid a lot more and make him even more evil and more hateable to the point where hopefully he comes out on the other side and eventually gets liked again
0: I think that's where you have to go, and I think then you turn him heel, and then he becomes the subject of Tommaso Ciampa's abuse and ire, and eventually we can kind of redeem him some way, somehow, or he just undergoes a character shift, but I I don't see him getting rebooted as a pure babyface at the same level of heat and the same intensity of heat as he was when he started this feud, and I don't necessarily think that that's the goal, either.
1: Okay, that's... uh... That's unusual that they're going to end up breaking a character in NXT. That I mean, once they if they bring him up to two hundred five or they bring him up to the main roster, he has to be white meat babyface again. So, but yeah, and then they'll again, just
0: hit the reset button because nothing yeah, matters on the hit main the reset, roster. Yeah,
1: no, you're exactly right because you know they they took. Look, look, for all the, all the crap that I just went through to th- say, oh yeah, they, they, they have to break in for the ring. Look, they built up a great character in Bailey and absolutely screwed her up from week number two.
0: My dude, have you heard of this man named Andrade Cien Almas and Zelina Vega? Because I can't find them with the search party now.
1: Uh, the Authors of Pain, all the NXT call-ups from the last two years, you know, <laughs> you right? go down the list. And,
0: and nothing matters, right? So you're like, oh, how are they going to use Paul Irving on the main roster because he's so central to the storytelling? Oh, they're not, and they'll just abandon ship on that. Yeah. Hey, remember Andrade Cien Almas? I just mentioned him a few moments ago. Well, he managed to make it onto the pre-show, facing off against Rusev and Lana. Do you have any thoughts about this match, Jeff?
1: Uh, Three matches in the pre-show, three roll-up Finishes, which and a botched a finish
0: nuts. on this one because Zelina Vega couldn't quite get her foot on the ropes until basically the three count.
1: There's two things here that kill me number one, in terms of continuity, they took all that time to build up in NXT. That Zelina Vega was there to keep seeing Almas focused, right? And, and you're here to be focused and focus, 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 stop the showmanship crap. And now, everything about those two is to get to the double tranquilo spot. Where you're just like, really? That's. You're not giving up focus. And then, you know, Zelina used to do, like, the flashy moves to help out Cian Almas, and now she's a wrestler, which isn't her strong suit necessarily. That's not what I like her- about her. Guys. Less is totally yeah, more with there- her. Yes. Same with Lana. Yes. They're both both is more people. Less
0: is more people. Exactly. It's-, it's not even necessarily that Zelina Vega is bad in the ring, but. You don't need her, especially with the way that the current women's roster is built. She would be totally lost in the fray as a lower-tier wrestler in this division.
1: And and remember, we had to absolutely hold off doing anything with him until he got through this Sin Cara feud. That just mm. sucked. Mm. You know, it, it's, it's, it's such a... You just throw up your hands and go, do they want to make money with these guys or do they just want to have bit players and, you know, ooh, new, fresh faces, there you go.
0: It's just very disappointing because this is an act that I thought had a lot of depth, but certain stories just for whatever reason... Cannot be told on this main product, despite the inordinate amount of hours of television they have every week.
1: Well, that's just it. There, there's no, there's absolutely no depth. Every character remains the same at all times, including guys that have been on the roster for decades, like the Hardys. They have to do the same spots over and over. They never change their style because, oh, it's it. You know, when Tanahashi called it the McDonald's of wrestling, you know, people expect to have the product that they 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 want and that's what they want they want every you know they want to see the double tranquilo spot every time now it's like okay it, it's a little disheartening but uh this is just the first match on the pre-show let us continue oh
0: absolutely so Cedric Alexander versus Drew Gulak I've actually enjoyed this feud a lot on 205 live 205 live to me is a show that does not get fully appreciated because it is a very nice Clean, linear product with a good GM and simple storytelling that is usually done inside of the ring. I loved Drew Gulak's look coming to the ring for this match. Like the the American flag with the uh, separated snake, uh, all that stuff that he's doing. Man, this is the best version of the Drew Gulak character. This match, it's so unfortunate that it's being relegated once again to the pre-show.
1: Well, not just that, but number one let's get a few things out of the way drew gulak is the star of 205 live yeah other than other than maybe ali because he is and and i say this not not in terms of presently he's the main star but i mean throughout this 205 live of the past year with the enzo debacle and whatnot he transcended everything about it Great character work, no matter if he's in the suit doing PowerPoint presentations or he's the badass in the boxing gear robe. I loved this robe. I know. I love how he found a
0: through line, though, between PowerPoint Drew and this Drew. Yes, That they're not all entirely divorced. That It's all part of this broader Drew Gulak personality.
1: The other thing is, if you're going to stick these guys on the pre-show and you're going to have 205 Live be its own universe, I get it. But you need to have these guys on the go home show of Raw in some fashion, maybe not wrestling contract signing somehow contract signing six person tag, whatever you have to do to get them on the show. Because if they're not on main roster television and you put them on a SummerSlam, nobody knows who the hell they are. And this crowd took a while to get warmed up to them. I think they had a better match that that than uh, this crowd gave him credit for up until that last segment with the uh, with the missed roll up and uh, whatnot. Yes, I, it really kind of took yes. away from the match yeah. because because again, it's it's one of those things where if you're trying to do all this clever choreography, if you miss a step, it's going to take away from the match, and it took away from the match here. I liked the match a lot. I love Cedric Alexander. I thought it might have been time to change the title, but I think they're going to go back to an Ali feud to do that. But that slip-up also goes in the mind of people who would, you know, don't pay attention. It's like, oh, there it is. It's just a bunch of choreographed stuff that doesn't mean anything. Yeah,
0: when you see Cedric looking to find Drew Gulak to get him into the roll-up like he was trying to catch him still, I, I think the bigger issue is that people are just not getting eyes on the product because there's no easy portal in.
1: Well, it, it, it's, a, it's a purely drive them to the network type of thing, and... uh on the network, people mostly have it for pay-per-views because there's just no time. I mean, and the network NXT... doesn't lend
0: itself to be something that you keep on in your household yes. all day because who wants to watch the re-airing of Table for Three every three yeah. hours?
1: Well, not only that, but, but when you have this many hours of live products, something has to go by the wayside, and the hierarchy is Raw, SmackDown, if you have the network, maybe NXT, And then if you have time that week, 205 Live. I can say that from experience of someone who works more than 40 hours a week and has to find time to watch all this stuff because I like doing this podcast. But at the same time, 205 Live is usually the first thing that that goes by the wayside if I don't have time because it's just – it's it's just there's there's only so many hours in the day and you have to prioritize. And, and they
0: force you to watch SmackDown and Raw because if you could really do this for real skis, what you would do is you'd watch 205 Live and NXT and be done with it.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Can I be real here about getting return on investment, especially as grown men who work 40 hours a week? I, I mean the tallying of SmackDown and Raw. The five and a half hours, I don't feel like I'm getting the best return when I watch Raw and SmackDown Live. Let's put it that way.
1: I'm getting video package of what they did in Brooklyn. I'm getting, you know, uh, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm getting 50-50 booking and ooh, let's wait until something big happens. Whereas NXT, it's... Forty five to
0: sometimes fifty nine minutes and I never feel dumber having watched it and I don't really feel like there's wasted air on NXT. It's so rare. I
1: was gonna say they don't they don't hit every story every week on NXT.
0: Ditto with two oh five live and two oh five live is not even necessarily forced to go one hour, so when they're done telling their story for the week, they're just done. What an idea.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: It's nice. So the B team versus the revival. Um, I liked the revival a lot. Um, I don't know what the hell's happened on the main roster, but this was a match that happened.
1: Yeah, I hated the finish to this. I I, I think there, I think there's two stories to tell, and they they don't tell them very well. the The problem is, look, I, I said before, just earlier in the show, that I thought the NXT tag division. The last four years has been one of the great things about WWE, and the revival is a major part of that. The problem is the B-Team right now are the Mulkey brothers, and you and the revival are better than the Gladiators, but you don't beat Tully and Arn with the Mulkey brothers. That's the thing here. And there's a story to tell with the B-Team where they're geeks who finally get the confidence to learn how they're competent, and they become badasses through that. But how
0: do you get excited so about not, fluke wins that they
1: shouldn't be but, winning? Yeah. They're not, but they're not telling this that story either. They're just getting the fluke wins. They're not, they're not. See, this is not the type of win you should get over the revival. This is the type of win you should get over Heath Slater and Rhino, possibly. And then you get a, a more mid car type, like you get a Brizongo and you get a strong win over them. And then you build your way up into a feud with a guys like the revival, and maybe you find it within yourself to beat a team like that. And oh, go, oh no, they develop God, a finishing
0: move. So so at one point yeah. they start figuring out what their finishing move is going to be. Maybe one week the first week they botch the finishing move because they don't really have it down yet. But then the next week they actually hit the finishing move because now they're growing. You you mm-hmm. actually show real growth yeah. instead of what you're showing right now which is a bunch of punchlines and sort of dumb and dumber as a tag team.
1: Yeah, this is what people want to see. They want to see have the fluke win and celebrate and scream b team hooray and you're just like yeah these
0: guys like having fun jeff
1: yeah but you're yeah and you're clearing out the the division of anybody who's worth a damn and that's the problem and and they don't have anybody right now that they can build up because you know if you notice last week the aop was doing six man tags with mojo raleigh so yeah my thought that the aop would come in and kill them and get a giant pop i mean they could still do that but it's still not going to mean as much at this point and i thought getting the Revival a win, and I thought just crushing them, to be honest with you, would have been the move here. This uh, this was as bad of a finish as I, I, could, I could ever imagine, and it, it made me angry at first, but this is what they do, so I can't be that angry.
0: Yeah, I, it's just better when I have an emotional detachment from it. I, I try to have a stoic approach to the main roster here. So then we get into the main card, and we get... Dolph Ziggler versus Seth Rollins. Both these guys know how to work, so I wasn't necessarily surprised when they had a good match, but I thought that they had a particularly spirited match for two guys who have locked horns several times now.
1: Uh definitely a step up from the Iron Man match, in my opinion. Yeah. I thought I thought the blood towards the end helped the story quite a bit. Agreed. To be honest, I think there are two matches here with blood on this card that I really really liked. I kind of like having a little bit of blood now and then. Not necessarily Starkade 84 where everybody blades, but I, I liked that. I like the Dean Ambrose walking up and looking at guys and and basically asking them with his eyes, "Do you want to do the man dance?" I like that aspect rather than goofy prop comic Dean Ambrose. Um but these two guys work so well and yes. my god. That's that ending third of this match was not only spectacular, but if they ever pull that move off again with the reverse superplex, my nobody goodness. should ever, nobody should ever do that other than Dolph Ziggler because he is a madman. Okay, because someone's going to get their neck broke. Not Dolph, because Dolph is a man among men, but that thing, good lord. I, I, I like how
0: he did the Laney Poffo moonsault push off off of the lighted pole thing that they have now.
1: Yeah, but that should have been the finish. Yes, into the, I into agree. the reverse Falcon Arrow. Everything after that, the crowd was just out of. I mean, the crowd wanted that to be the finish. Call the Audible and go with it.
0: Yes, completely agree. I I don't know that we have anything else to hit on that. What came next after that? Was it Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens? I guess we can talk about that right quick. That match happened. It was very quick. Kevin Owens lost. I was kind of hoping Kevin Owens would get the money in the bank contract, but that's clearly not the story they're trying to tell.
1: Well, you knew they weren't going to when they were doing on the build-up. You know, if this happens, then then, then you know, Kevin Owens will be able to cash in later that night. You know, the, the, you knew that after that, but my God, Kevin Owens got killed on that ramp. Oh, boy. That thing was.
0: <laughs> he bounced on on metal. Oh, You're geez. not supposed to bounce on metal, Jeff.
1: Well, the the thing is, it, it's weird because the match we skipped was New Day versus the Bludgeon Brothers. Oh, sure. Z- Let's
0: talk about that. Absolutely. Well,
1: because, because there's a similar theme in that, uh, Xavier Woods died for our sins in this match, and to have that much damage each other, everybody's doing to each other, like the, uh, what is it, the, uh, the abyss slam on the floor that Harper yes. did to, to yeah, Woods as well. Yeah, the black hole slam on the floor there,
0: and this the is, is a great match, slam, and then you. Styrofoam Hammer showed up at the end.
1: Styrofoam Hammer, all for a Hammer DQ spot. Which also simultaneously ruined a lot of the magic of the DQ in the AJ Styles match later, in my
0: opinion. Yeah, I'm with you on that as well. But that that was the moment where the show kind of switched off for me for a bit here, and then it came back on at the end of... Of our next match, which was Carmella versus Becky Lynch versus Charlotte Flair. Well, hold on, I, that
1: elbow, that elbow drop by Xavier Woods onto the floor. No, was that was insane. awesome.
0: I'm saying the lights switched off for me after the Styrofoam hammers came out because I, I was actually oh, yeah. very in to this New Day versus Bludgeon Brothers match up until the Styrofoam hammers showed up. I was hoping we were going to get a decisive win one way or another. I, I agree. So, we get into our triple threat between Carmella versus Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. To me, the highlights, Becky Lynch attitude change here at the end. But what did you think of the match?
1: I thought Carmella tried to channel her inner Sasha Banks as much as she could. And I don't think she was a liability. I just, uh, you know, doing dives, taking the moonsault from Charlotte. She was taking some, some rather vicious bumps in this match, in my opinion. I just think the story they were telling was kind of rough because you can't have an argument over friendship in a triple threat match. Everybody's a competitor. Who cares who slapped who? You're trying to win. And I know it It goes without saying that some people protect Charlotte in the wrestling commentary at times. She's been rusty since she's come back. In that match with Carmella and in this match, Becky had her working boots on. She was doing a lot of heavy lifting in this match, and I thought she was great. Charlotte was a little off all night, I thought, and I thought Carmella tried hard. The other thing is, given this reaction in Brooklyn to the quote-unquote heel turn by Becky...
0: That's why I called it an attitude shift. I'm not entirely clear that we're going to go full heel turn on this because I thought the reaction was so weird.
1: They have to bail on it. I think they have to bail on it Yeah, I think you have to turn Charlotte
0: heel and you have to somehow spin this into Becky finally had it and realized that she needed to win and you're going to have to say that Becky saw through the veneer of Charlotte. That Charlotte acts nice whenever she wants to win. Whenever she wants stuff. And she's cool and she's not a brat when she's got her toy.
1: Yeah, this was... This was a cathartic release of, yes, you've been treating Becky like a stupid babyface for two years. Now she's finally going to stand up for herself. This would have been the same way if they had done this correctly with Bailey a few times here and there, where they're just like, you're treating this great wrestler like such an idiot at times. You need to stop it. They have to. They
0: Specifically have to, at the expense of Charlotte Flair, which is why the contract they, is so yeah. stark.
1: Yeah, and that Charlotte is not a good babyface. No! She's just not because she's so much bigger than the other women. And then they never actually want to slate her as a pure
0: babyface either because they want her to have mannerisms like Ric Flair, so it's always slightly heelish, always slightly a loop, always slightly arrogant because that's part of the Charlotte Flair character. So it doesn't really work as a pure babyface. I mean,
1: I have half of my... I have half a mind to have Becky Lynch be in the rafters for the next year, watching SmackDown, like like Crow Sting. <laughs> Just I want her to come down and like hand
0: a- the bat to people, and then turn her back to them <laughs> as a trust exercise.
1: Yes, you know that that's kind of the way I I, I want to go here. But I think uh, I think a friend of the show, Rob McCarron, is exactly correct here in that the game plan is they're going to get Charlotte Flair up to Daddy's title win number. I think I think they're going to try and make her a 16-time champion. And so I think you're going to have a few tradesies. I don't, I don't know if Becky Lynch is ever going to hold this title for a long, long time again, but I think she's going to have it transitionally for Charlotte a few times. Um, I'm kind of interested in if they're going to go all the way with this horsewomen versus horsewomen thing, and who knows if they are, how they get back to it because you have – Two sets of horse two sets of NXT horsewomen feuding, which maybe that's the way they do this is the way that they all get back together is Ronda and her crew are are in more immediate threat, but they're more cohesive, whereas these veterans can't get their crap together. Maybe that's the story they tell. Who knows?
0: Samoa Joe versus AJ Styles. So Samoa Joe, even on pre show panels, does awesome interviews and awesome
1: promos all the fucking time jeff hawkins i'd like to congratulate you on now being a two-income household you know before this the the line of the night in the pre-show was booker t going you know who i blame for this ms daniel Bryan feud jbl because JBL made Miz stand outside and dress in the locker room, used to humiliate him. So Miz had this chip on the shoulder, and that's why this feud is happening. I thought that was the line of the night until Joe came on and absolutely threw Renee off her game. It was, oh, it was a thing of beauty. I loved this feud. I loved the go home note that he he read on the SmackDown thing. I think Samoa Joe transcends crappy material. And I loved that the added heat it gave to this match where he's screwing with the family throughout the match. I know it can sometimes be a distraction. I know it can sometimes be bad, but there were a lot of notes in this match that were so well done, especially AJ's daughter looking at him and saying, Daddy, you're bleeding. Oh my God, was that good? I don't know if she just riffed on that line, but that was fantastic. I liked this match. I think the DQ was a bit of a... It was a bit of a you know, this is supposed to be your number two paper. I know and, it, I mean, I get why
0: they DQ'd out of this. I get why you want this to continue. I get it, I get it, I get it, but this is a match that you set, want a resolution to, on somehow.
1: Yeah. But to use SummerSlam to table set for Hell in a Cell. Right. I just think is 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 a bad idea. And I know that, that I agree. think that's the direction they're going. But I love watching these two work. I have ever since TNA, and uh, I think they added a few new wrinkles from their TNA work, like Joe doing that second rope uh, leg lariat. That thing was great.
0: Up next, we had Daniel Bryan versus The Miz. We finally got the big payoff to this angle, or did we, Jeff Hawkins?
1: No, we got uh, we got a six month program now, which is oh also going to involve Brian. Is Bree this going to really go all the way to WrestleMania?
0: Yeah, it is. Yes, I think so.
1: If he's if he's re-signed, which yeah. who knows? But I mean, they this just, should have had been had over. Two-
0: this was this was this was the time to end it. It was it was good. They had set the table for it, but we're not done.
1: Yeah, and I think Maurice's involvement means eventually we're getting a mixed tag yep. somewhere uh, in here. And, and those are well always exciting. Because Brie is around too, and God knows we need more of the Bella. Right,
0: right. And Brie was the good one. She was, she was always the good wrestler of the two of them. Uh
1: was she? Cause no, I'm Being sarcastic, I was. It, oh, okay. It's
0: Nikki who was the good one.
1: Yeah, well, you know they they both they
0: look alike. Two, two. But 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 uh, maybe you could switch them out and pass off Nikki as Brie.
1: They have two TV shows between them, which just kills me. Um, I, and no you know, acting chops like between them. I thought this match. I thought the video of this match was spectacular. The video uh, preview, right. the way that they edited right. all these things. The problem is all this heat didn't translate into what this match could have been, and it turned into a wrestling match at first. Dude, the punch him in the face
0: spot. Where was the big punch him in the face spot? That was the whole point of this yeah. match, right? Like, like it should have been. The thing that we were waiting for in this match was not the yes lock or the yes kicks or any of that. Right. It was just the part where Daniel Bryan punched the Miz in the face one time real good, and he sold it like a cuckoo clock.
1: That said, that, that part of the match... After the figure four leg lock and after, you know, the surfboards where, he, where Daniel Bryan is just smacking the crap out of Miz. Yeah. And Miz is getting was a little good. frightened by this. I loved it. where he channeled his inner Minoru Suzuki. Yeah. I, I friggin' loved everything And leaning into that. the
0: kicks. I enjoyed that a lot, too.
1: I, I just thought it was disappointing for the amount. But then again, the build wasn't anything that it should have been. Right. I, I would have saved this. I really would have. I would have done something else. I understand why they did it here. I just think this match is bigger than the spot on the card, and I think what it's done now is it's table set to get a lot of other people that I don't think people are that interested in seeing involved in it, and I thought that that's what the ending did as well with, with Maurice handing the knuckles. I, I, I understand why they did it, but I think next match you get uh, Maurice trying to interfere again and Bree stops it. And then uh, that may set up something for the evolution pay per view between the two of those, and then you get a mixed tag match down the line somewhere. That's that's where I think they're going with this. Finn Balor defeated Baron Corbin in a minute thirty five, after spending five hours in a makeup chair. Um, I was fine. Yeah, I was-
0: yeah, but they did take a number of photos after. <laughs>
1: where where Finn came out as uh the demon or boogeyman junior depending on uh which which you think he is. Um but I liked I like the because we've been saying ever since NXT that when Finn goes into the in bo- uh, the boogeyman
0: uh, he goes into the demon, he's half carnage.
1: Yes, when he goes into the demon character, he should wrestle different. It should be a little bit more vicious and he should be better as the demon in some way and ways, he but did he that. He channel it all the time. I liked this. I like the choice to keep the demon strong even though they they treat Finn like crap at times in terms of the 50/50 stuff. The demon should always win.
0: This is an interesting trump card for Finn to have and something that kind of keeps him fresh. So, yes, when he does get treated badly as Finn the man you always have this little ace in the hole that he's got of he can switch on the demon and and I guess at some point uh, this would require narrative discipline so I don't necessarily expect it to happen on the main roster you could tell some sort of story about the interplay between Finn the man and Finn the demon and how those two things correlate and it could be interesting
1: yeah no I, I agree I just uh It's one of those weird things where you don't feel like there's a sense of completion, though, because Corbin's tied in with the authority and he's kind of a non-player character at the same time. So he'll just go and go, well, I'll get my win back tomorrow on Raw against Finn Balor, and that's what I fully expect to happen.
0: Yeah, or he's just going to keep exacting revenge on Finn Balor the man. i, I That's the thing that right. confuses me, is the demon now going to haunt Constable Corbin? Because that could be an interesting wrinkle, that, that Constable Corbin is scared of something
1: yeah a little bit he he he's he's added a little wrinkle of personality since he's taken on this constable character that i like but it's almost ill-fitting in some ways he has kind of like a little cocky grin when he comes out he's smiling a little bit more which is creepy in its own right to see baron corbin being kind of a smiling guy so uh you know we'll we'll see what happens i guess
0: absolutely where to next jeff
1: Um, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Jeff Hardy.
0: Shinsuke Nakamura versus Jeff Hardy. This was certainly better than, uh, the
1: last match that they had.
0: (laughs) Jeff Hardy probably Uh, doesn't need to be doing swanton dives under the apron.
1: Good lord. Um, I I tend to think that, uh... Is this one of Shinsuke's better main roster out in terms so of personality too. and doing?
0: He, the shocked uh, face. His, oh my yes. God, I can't believe that Jeff Hardy's making fun of me. Like, uh, uh, they, it was almost like a you put pineapple on pizza sort of face.
1: Well, he's a troll bully, and then when he gets it back in return, he becomes the crying teenage girl whose party was ruined. It's so great. Watching him just almost break down and cry that someone dared to have the temerity to make fun of him. I, I absolutely loved that spot. Wait, you
0: think I'm uncool? You think I'm uncool? Yeah. I, am <laughs> exactly. I uncool? That's wait, 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 wait,
1: wait. Am I not cool? Is is this weird? Am I just weird? Is this not cool? My en- my entire world is falling apart. Uh, it, it It's so great. Uh... That spot on the apron after reading interviews all week about him saying he hated right. doing the swanton. And how I'm doing the twisted fate more. Now, here's the here's the disconnect for me on this thing. Randy Orton... Uh, Shinsuke wins the match with a Kinshasa. Randy Orton comes down, bails on doing the RKO. Now, that in and of itself is... Makes me think, okay, he didn't want to give the RKO to this Brooklyn crowd, and we're supposed to boom for that. But you yeah. combine that with— Is that what's going I think- on there?
0: See, I think it's like he's got some sort of need to take out these legends at their peak, and so just sniping them out doesn't do it for what this iteration of Randy's character is.
1: No, because he came to, he came down and kicked him in the I'm balls. Aware, I'm aware
0: we've done balls kicks on Jeff Hardy. I I, I understand that. I, I'm just trying to figure out See, the psychology behind me, him not doing that ambush attack.
1: Right, but for me, the the thing was, I I read it a different way because I think they screwed up a camera cut, and they showed Jeff Hardy kind of getting to his feet and then applauding the crowd a little bit as if it's like a swan song type thing. So maybe watching it. I was like, well, maybe that's how they wrote him off. Maybe you know, Orton came down and decided not to RKO him because, well, oh, this is this is Hardy's last last stand, so it's not worth it, and that's how they get rid of Jeff Hardy off of WWE television. Oh, but I don't. But that's not usually their way because. See, I could see them wanting to give Jeff Hardy a giant celebration, right? but I could see them not, not wanting to give Matt Hardy a giant celebration <laughs> at the same time, and I know that Matt, I think, is uh, done with the company or almost done with the company because of uh, the way he was written off on Monday, So, or at least it appeared that way after uh, all the social media posts, or maybe it was just his last time in nor- the North Carolina area. Is but.
0: it that he's working backstage now? I, that was sort yeah, of my he's, understanding. Yeah.
1: Yeah, he and Jason Jordan are both agenting, which, God, if Jason Jordan's done, that's just a tragedy. Wow. so many ways. Oh,
0: my goodness. Yeah, that would be stunning.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, it was so weird because I think they meant to cut before Jeff Hardy got up and did the applauding for the live crowd, but they didn't get to it in time. So watching it on TV and taking it as I saw it it looked almost like, okay, that might be the way that Jeff Hardy is out of there.
0: But then that's also kind of consistent with the Jeff Hardy character and how he's so into the fan appeals and making sure to high-five everybody and, you know, ah, I love the fans. Like, that's that's who Jeff Hardy is.
1: I still thought this was going to be a, a, a three-way going into SummerSlam, and they didn't do that. So it just, it just makes me... It- yeah, it just makes the entire story weird.
0: And see, I thought that we were eventually going to have some sort of weird alignment between Nakamura and Randy Orton.
1: Well, who can top each other's viciousness is what I thought was gonna be kind of the storyline. Right,
0: and then and then the the respect is forged through this, like they keep trying to one up each other and then eventually kind of realize like, Oh, okay, someone's on my wavelength.
1: It's like it's like uh, in comic book parlance, if you ever read the old Golden Age or Silver Age Flash comics, the dynamic between Heatwave and Captain Cold, where they were kind of rivals to each other, but they also had a common en- enemy in the Flash, so they'd sometimes team up to do that before they went back to kind of hating each other.
0: Sure, sure. There you go. There you go. I can see that. I can see that.
1: Where to next? Uh... Now it's it's time. You you can now announce the next next. Okay, see,
0: I'm going to get it right this time. It's Alexa Uh Bliss versus Ronda (laughs) Rousey. Jeff, in post-production, I just nailed this, and I've been getting the card right all along, except for the one time that you came in and said something and there was no clear cut there. But otherwise, (laughs) Chris is hitting all the notes right now. But this match was an all-time classic, Jeff Hawkins. I thought that this was just great. Actually, I did kind of enjoy Ronda's in-ring performance, but this was a good... Good and sound dropping of Alexa Bliss, and it should
1: have been. Um, a little shocking in terms of the number of squashes that were overall on this. Yes, card.
0: too many squashes on the card.
1: It, uh, I don't know if it's too many. I, I was just surprised at the number of them. Um, I my God, Rhonda's makeup between her and Becky. I I just it somebody is is a throwback from the early '80s MTV age. In some ways, because she... I thought she was trying out for GLOW. I, is GLOW doing tryouts in New York? I, I I compared it to Patty Smythe in the Warrior video. Yep. Um, but I, I I like this... Let, settle a debate for me what you thought of this. Um, because I, I was on the Fightful post-show about SummerSlam, and we, we were having a debate on whether Ronda saying ready all those times <laughs> was her kind of talk... Her talking trash in the match throughout or them picking up kind of in the John Cena way, talking about maneuvers and stuff when they shouldn't have to the point where a coach points it out on commentary like a douche canoe. I I, I just I I thought it was they were just I thought Ronda was just basically calling spots a little too loud. Do you think it was that, or do you think it was trash talk? I think
0: it was trash talk, but I think that this trashing of Alexa Bliss in this way was... Even though I thought this should have been a blowout, I thought this was a little gratuitous because, like, Ronda Rousey was beyond just business and just trying to win the championship. It was about, like, humiliating Alexa Bliss in a way that was almost kind of uncomfortable at a certain point, and the ready stuff... M- moved her almost into a cocky territory for
1: me. Well, they they have a problem with with Ronda Rousey as their champ now. Yes, because I agree. She's been th- she's been throwing around she's been throwing around men, right? And and right. the only person who could possibly be that powerful, you've decompressed over on the SmackDown roster, and that's a woman by the name of Asa. Right, right. I, I I think I I I liked Alexa's kind of see Alexa's just the best reactions in terms of facial reactions in wrestling, because she was just fantastic in this match, I thought. Um, The one down note for me was the post-match. Look, you have Ronda's friends there. Right, right. It's weird to have Natty
0: and the Bellas be her best friends and and not have anyone turn on her. I was almost expecting the Bellas and Natty to stomp the shit out of Ronda, and we were going to kind of get things
1: going. Not only that, but it's such a blatant... It's like they go, hey, let's do the NXT horsewomen spot from Brooklyn with them, but with people who, who, who fans would know as opposed to, say, Ronda's real friends or as opposed to, say, those horsewomen who don't really matter all that much other than Charlotte. It's a little slap in the face to kind of both groups, in, in my opinion. To, to, and it was such a blatant kind of, we're passing the torch from the Bellas and Natty to Ronda Rousey. (laughs) It's like, really? That's just kind of... Yeah, I was expecting a three-on-one beatdown. I got to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, I just expected... The whole point of pairing... Natty with Rhonda is to draw the shadows of Brett and Roddy. So it, yeah. at some point, there has to be that blow off. I just was expecting the Bellas to be the second to Natty. And Natty's calling the shots. And the Bellas are resentful and helping out in this. And that's where we're going with this. But uh, we didn't go there. And so the end result is a weird moment where Rhonda is celebrating this important thing in her life with people she doesn't really know all that well. And Natty died at heart.
1: Well, let let me ask well, let me ask you this because I guess it's 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 the start of the seeds to the one of the rumored matches at this Evolution pay per view is Ronda Rousey versus Nikki Bella.
0: I thought we would be starting on that road right now if we were getting there.
1: Well, they've they've I mean there are two rumored matches. There's that and there's Alexa Bliss versus uh, Trish Stratus. I don't mind the, the the second one. The first one to me screams tone deaf in a certain way because if you're celebrating the women look i i i said this on a previous shake them ropes they should be the horse women's time to shine they're the ones who got them to the dance you can tell me that nikki bella was part of this revolution with the give divas a chance hashtag but she wasn't going in there putting in the work that got all the media buzz that got that hashtag to mean something i think this is pure marketing in terms of we'll get the crossover audience from real sports fans and the crossover audience from reality TV, and it'll be such a great moneymaker, blah, 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 blah. I understand that. I get that that may get some great press on like TMZ and entertainment tonight and whatnot. I just don't know if that's what they want in terms of us. I mean,
0: well, I think the question is more, are people actually going to be, I think the question is more, are people going to be satisfied with the match once they get their eyes on the screen. I I have no doubt that there's a built-in audience between Total Divas and UFC so that you could pitch to people who like the Bellas because they watch reality television show, hey, Nikki Bella's having a match again for the first time in X amount of years, and it'll be against Ronda Rousey, who's in UFC. I mean, the upshot, though, to go back to Nikki Bella and the Divas revolution, is that, yes, Nikki Bella did, in fact, become a better wrestler in the last... 1.5 years of her career. She did actually become a good, borderline great women's wrestler in WWE, and that is after being at a lower tier for most of her career and not really being anything to write home about or cuttable in many ways. She became a lot better, but I think she would be very exposed having a match against Ronda Rousey, and I think where this all falls apart as a plan is in the ring.
1: It's the disconnect between do you want the Evolution pay-per-view to be a celebration of women's wrestling and how far it's come, or do you want it to be a celebration of what WWE has done for the women by putting them on the roster? That, that to me, is, is, is the disconnect, and it seems that the WWE wants to go in the latter direction as opposed to what a lot of the women and what I think a lot of the fans really, really want. They want this to be a solid women's wrestling pay-per-view. And it's gonna take them dragging the WWE, kicking and screaming to get there. I think. I think there's gonna be some good matches on there. Don't get me wrong. When you have Io Shirai down there, and your main event is Nikki Bella, eh? You know, I think there. I think there's a, a communication issue, in some ways. I mean, she's gonna be on the on the card against Tony Storm. But do you think? You think they're gonna want two women wrestling for the Mae Young Classic to outshine their main event?
0: So, Jeff, let me ask you a question.
1: Mm-hmm. When's
0: a main event not a main event?
1: When it involves Roman Reigns? <laughs>
0: when it's actually know. a card trick. And that's what this main event was. <laughs> it was an extended card trick to confuse and bamboozle this crowd. I thought it was actually clever. Uh, it wasn't good, but it was certainly clever. They bring out Braun Strowman early and they prime all of us that there's going to be a Braun Strowman match after the Roman Reigns and Brock match.
1: Let let me cut you off right there. Let me cut you off right there because this promo was ridiculous. Yes, it was. This promo. This this made him look like an idiot. Braun Strowman comes. It was the dumbest thing because he goes, I like fighting
0: fair. I'm going to wait until one of you is really tired. Then I'm going to beat you up and win the title.
1: Yeah, it's the same time. Calling, it it doesn't matter if you're going to say, yeah, I'm going to cash in after you get your butt kicked or I'm going to cash in when you get your butt kicked. You're still, I thought he was going to come out and go, I'm challenging you both because I'm hardcore. I thought that was going to be interesting. That was
0: going to make him look tough. Also, that was going to redeem this otherwise not interesting angle. You'd now have this triple threat match between Braun, Brock, and Roman. And the way Brock moved over into the other corner, I was like, yes, we're going to turn this into a triple threat. I didn't see that coming. This is really exciting. And then he was like, I'm going to wait until one of you's finished, and then I'm going to fight. And I was like, okay, that's weird, and it does kind of make him look like a bit of a weenie because, I mean, yes, Braun had a match earlier tonight, but it was such a nothing match that, like, he is fresh, essentially, and the prediction here is that one of these two people is not going to be fresh after that match, so Braun has this huge built-in advantage.
1: No, and, and they did some interesting stuff here, not to say everything in the match was bad, like they did some nice table setting for if Brock does come back or if he's even staying, because that's a possibility too. Is that he's staying, and and they matched the money that the UFC can give him just to screw the UFC. I I just don't know to be honest with you. But they did you know giving the F five outside and just throwing the briefcase down <laughs> down the ramp. I, I thought it was an interesting touch. You know it was a way to get. Braun out of there, pretty much, because I kept thinking if he hung Did around... Did that get
0: Braun out of there? Because he was just hanging there, and he already announced his intentions to cash in and everything. Like, I found that to be very narratively unsatisfying. The, well, the whole yeah, way well, they the resolved satis- the Braun thing, too, where he's just, like, invisible and poofs and explodes at the end of the match or whatever, so that Roman Reigns can just hold the title
1: they, up. They were never going to do the interesting storytelling, which would be either braun pondering cashing in throughout the match or paul Heyman trying to tempt braun into into cashing throughout the match that's the interesting narrative thing if you're bringing braun out there from the get-go and you're not going to use him immediately you know the the devil on the shoulder saying yeah do it now do it now do it now you know and and Heyman goes on with braun because they're gonna keep him babyface somehow but you know for for what it was you know, you, you crown Roman again.
0: Yeah, but you have to sneak it by everyone. And you wouldn't have to do all of these card tricks if people actually liked Roman Reigns in the first place.
1: Well, no, because they think that it's not everybody who hates Roman. It's just these basement-dwelling neckbeard wrestling fans as opposed to the kids and the families and the real WWE universe, the real fans who, who come to spend their money. And look i think I think it's another disc in it I don't I think, think the data is there to Ro-
0: support that theory uh, uh, their theory No. no that's what I'm not saying it's your theory. I think it's their theory, and I think that the data has been pretty clearly the other direction. I think that Roman Reigns' support is somewhere around forty to forty five percent, and the rest of the audience is somewhere in between love to hate him and x pac heat
1: well yeah well i i just I just think the uh lunch pail blue collar company guy champion Roman Reigns isn't a winner. Does corporate fealty
0: the thing that made the different champions work is they sort of fit with the mood of the moment and this lunch pail comes to work every day, works real hard, like that doesn't seem to fit with the spirit of the times at all.
1: Well it doesn't fit with the spirit of the times and neither does doing three moves over and over and over again. Also true. I, I think I think I think wrestling audiences are a lot more Nuanced. I just think that this is the guy that fits into Vince's mold of what a champion should be. You know, he's tall, he's muscular, he's sexy, and women want to sleep with him. And I, I just, I just, I find it's interesting that they make the company on TV a heel but in the zeitgeist, it's supposed to be the babyface driving everybody's motivations, and that's what Roman Reigns... Roman Reigns is a company champ where the company is a heel, but he's a baby face. It's such a weird thing now.
0: Yes. They've never really, I think, reckoned with karmically what happens when you make the corporation this entity that really defined the growth period in the 90s. Like, like the Vince McMahon... Evil corporation, and the fact that they kept bringing it back as recently as 2013 when they rebooted it as the authority, and there's still this like cloud of the authority that sort of hangs over the program as though at any moment it might come back. Like that specter still looms, so you have to just sort of accept that the authority, the corporation as a character in this universe is always going to be evil. They're Shinra.
1: I'm waiting for union-busting Roman Reigns where he decides he loves the company so much he kills the rest of the workers. He, he starts ratting him out. He starts ratting on him to
0: the boss so he can get a promotion.
1: I love the WWE so much i have kept it from having to pay its employees.
0: <laughs> what are you guys talking about? Not getting cost of living adjustments? I'm gonna go tell well, Vince.
1: And then we go, man, Roman turned into Hogan real quick.
0: <laughs> <laughs> in so many ways.
1: Uh so just to put a wrap on the on this uh thing, out of the two shows, because usually I wait until the four shows are done to ask this question, because I usually do this show in the middle of the week. But out of the two shows Who won the weekend?
0: That Undisputed Era versus Mustache Mountain match is a very strong match, especially inside of the formats. I've got to give an honorable mention, though, to Dolph Ziggler versus Seth Rollins because I thought they outperformed expectations. Mm, Okay, so who my winner is going to be, I am going to settle in. I'm going to go with Seth and Dolph Ziggler. I thought they had a really, really good match.
1: Okay, I I was going to go with Undisputed Era as an act. And as you were talking, I just go, you have to say Ronda Rousey won the weekend. I think her being women's champion, this this got her over. I think I think, you know, I I just think they have way too powerful a baby face. I think that's going to cause different issues, because the thing about having a powerful baby face is you need an even stronger heel to run up against. And I just think they're going to have a problem with that unless they start running up Bailey and Sasha and really make them powerful because how long can you watch Ronda beat the riot squad week after week <laughs> or maybe even Nia Jax? I mean, you know, it, it's, it's one of those weird things, but, Chris, tell the people where they can find you.
0: Well, i got a couple of shows. Actually, i got a few shows. So I've got the All in the Family podcast. You can find that at com or at patreon.com slash allinthefamily. I have another show called Don't Worry About the Government. There will be many offerings of Don't Worry About the Government coming up. If you thought I'd been a little scant, have no fear. More DWATG is here. Or if you're scared of the show and have dwatg phobia. I'm terribly sorry, but you can find it at don'tworry.tv. We're on iTunes and Stitcher, also at patreon.com slash DWATG if you want to support my goods and become a premium member. And, of course, on the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Thank you, Rich and Joe. I have Lucha of the Hidden Temple alongside my broadcast colleague, Miles, who will be back in the saddle with me again. No more lightning-fast 15-minute show reviews. It'll sprawl all the way back out to 35 to 40 minutes.
1: I am Jeff Hawkins. You can follow me at Crap Game 13. You can follow the show at Shake Them Ropes or at slash STR. Appreciate your patronage. This is Shake Them Ropes, episode number 281. May see you later this week for episode 282, but uh, for right now, you got a nice dosage of Shake Them Ropes for the week.
0: Bye bye. I, I, I
1: got work to do. i got
0: work. Got so